Jane Smith, North Otago farmer, award-winning environmentalist, has been listening with great intent to Dr Rod Carr. Now, Jane, take a deep breath. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, it certainly put me off um, having any appetite for alternative proteins for lunch um, this afternoon, Jamie. I've never heard such bureaucrat, and that's bureaucrat with a P, in my life. It won't be greenhouse gases that'll kill us. It'll be ideology that kills us. I mean, they really are treating our country and our future and our livelihoods, and I mean everyone, not just farmers, as some sort of social student union experiment. And they've failed to see that, that everything um, is in balance and in terms of sustainability, and everything needs to be, uh, I guess, taken a, a wide-angle view of things, Jamie. We've been punished for our productivity, pr- punished for our progressiveness as farmers, unlike any other agriculture nation in the world. And I was looking at my healthy, um, happy livestock 600 metres above sea level today, wondering what Rod Carr and his band of not-so-merry men would have planned for them. I mean, it certainly won't be supplying a uh, wealthy, righteous, plant-based diet, and I'm just not sure um, what else would be running on land like this, Jamie. And he clearly, him and his advisors and the government, clearly do not understand biological systems. As I said, everything is interrelated. And I've particularly found it quite unpalatable when he used words like fair, equitable, um, and uh, timely and practical. I mean, that totally opposes what, what they are actually doing. And, and as your um, listeners have said quite rightly, to state that because we aren't feeding supposedly poor, hungry nations, um, that I think it's just totally arrogant and ignorant and um, you know, a blatant disregard for world trade, food security and responsible land use, Jamie. Well, he says we can get there with feeding and breeding. I'm not so sure we can under the scenario he's painting. And if we go to worst-case scenario, having to reduce methane uh, emissions by 47% by the year 2050, there's only one possible way we can get there, and that is to drastically cut livestock numbers. Can you see any other solution? Exactly, Jamie. And the Climate Change Commission itself has said there are no reasonable size um, current mitigation strategies available in terms of technology available to us at the moment. Now, just briefly, I found it really interesting too when when you challenged him on how efficient we are in terms of emissions. Isn't it interesting when an economist can use averages when it suits them and then disregard them when when it suits them as well, as Rod did with our efficiency, to say that there's highs and lows and a bell-shaped curve, etc. That is just a really, really bizarre thing to do. And also to have those targets. Who would ever have such a wide window and targets and for him to sort of wave them off because it's uh, 47% is the upper, he- upper end of those? Now, let's just be really clear. The current target for just short-term target for 2030 at 10% um, would actually... Um, effectively um, end up with a net cooling effect. So that actually is beyond what carbon zero expectations are of other industries. So essentially, like other industries like transport and tur- tourism. So essentially... No, sorry, like, Jane, I'm going to just pull you up for a moment there. Where's your proof that 10% has a net cooling effect? Well, it, it, it definitely, it certainly does. So I've got, I can send you screeds of information on that, Jamie, to show that the modelling's been shown that... 0.3 of a percent over the next 10 years, and we're closer than 10 years to 2030 now, would be enough to, to stabilise our emissions, which we are doing anyway. So we're going above and beyond. And so if we want to talk about fairness and equity, that needs to come out. That, needs, that is totally the elephant in the room, because if we simply had to adhere to the goals of no further warming, as the general public do, we would actually have a credit from day one. Now, that is, re- that is really scary. 
Now, in terms of that available technology, um, you know, it rolls off his tongue in terms of low emissions genetics. All of the studies that have been done have been on single trait selection. So anyone that knows anything about as farmers do, and we've had to since 1984, and that is why we are so efficient at what we do, um, we, we uh gaining genetic gains over time that means that we are producing faster-growing livestock with less feed. It's exactly what we're doing. Although I'm particularly concerned to hear him today talk about not just alternative proteins but also the fact that fast-growing offshore pork and chicken um, are, are very have low emissions. Um, so we need to be really careful on this. What do we want? Do we want um, artisan, low-input, protein-free range um, protein produced or do we want industrialised dairy and beef with hormones etc and feedlots to simply lower our emissions. I mean I don't think putting a European industri- industrial farming up as a on the pedestal is, um, is a very... Yeah, I, I must admit I was somewhat surprised by that one myself. Look, Dr Jacqueline Rowlett's on the show tomorrow. She's going to talk about uh, your standard dairy farm if you want, three cows or just under three cows per hectare. If you go to a low emissions farm model, uh, you drop down to just over two cows per hectare. You've got no nitrogen or no imported feed. Milk production decreases by 38%. Exactly, and so again... How poor do we want to be? And that, this is the thing. So it's another metrics too, and I, I love metrics, Jamie. Here's a metrics that will make my eyes water, and it does, and this is what keeps me awake every, every night. It seriously does, and I'm really keen for Andrew Morrison to, to talk about this one, given that Beef and Lamb were one of the partners that signed off Hawaki Kanoa. If that goes through in its current form, and it looks dubious whether it will or not, 74,000 hectares every year will need to be converted to pine tree wasteland, okay? 74,000. And then for Rod Carr to sort of just have to sharp that off as, a, as some sort of land use change, 74,000 hectares, that is a lot of families, that is a lot of schools, that is a lot of rural infrastructure and, um, and you know, disastrous for our rural industry. At the same time, $100 million of taxpayer money is being spent on re- removing wilding pines and $1 billion of taxpayer money is being spent on imported carbon credits. I mean, this is totally unpalatable stuff. So, and from an industry, and I will back my industry um, forever, when you look at we've had a 30% decrease in sheep and beef methane emissions since 1990, and as I said, an 84% increase in transport emissions um, around the country since 1990. So, again, we have, as an industry and as a country, failed to ask in principle and in practice the why. Why, as a country, when we're struggling to provide the bare basics of um, health care, crime control, food, housing for our people, that we'd be penalising our food producers and global food security, regardless of whether it's caviar or cabbages, um, for a politically motivated emissions tax. I mean, it's just nonsensical, Jamie, and I think actually it's the time for um, civil disobedience or something's got to change. I mean, I, I really think people like Rod Carr come and go and his, his climate change commissioners that supposedly never really made the captain's call on these type of things, but they must have. Um, but these type of changes will be here forever, and there's no coming back from that, Jamie, and that's what makes me incredibly sad, and actually something has to has to give. Okay, we better let you go, Jane. 